Well, welcome to Renaissance. It's good to see you guys. My name's Clay. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, come on up afterwards and say hi. I'd love to, to get to know you a little bit. It is good to be back at Renaissance. Uh, Ann and I were away for several weeks. We spent uh, some time down at the beach because it was in South Carolina. We'll call it the beach as opposed to the shore if we were here. Spent, a, uh, spent some time at the beach with uh, both of our daughters, our, our older daughter who lives in Charlotte and our younger daughter who we just took to college, meaning our youngest daughter we just took to college after going to the beach. And so we are now in that empty nest phase of life. And there are some blessings to that, but we miss her. You know, we're sitting there at dinner and the two of us are talking, we're enjoying that conversation, but there's no third person there. And so there are times that we miss her. So if you want to give me a hug afterwards, uh, you, can, you can do that. But we had a great time. We had a great time with the girls and uh, down at the beach. And one evening we decided to go to a restaurant that was a little bit away from the beach and so we had to drive through the countryside. And actually going to and from the beach, we're driving through the countryside. And if you have ever been down south, kind of in the rural parts, you know that it's a little different than it is up here in, uh, in New Jersey. And one of the big differences is it seems like every half mile or so, you've got this small white clapboard kind of a church with a big tall steeple on it, you know? And uh, one of the uh, features of these churches are the signs and the different things that they have out in front. And there was this one church that we saw as we were driving along. I actually couldn't tell whether it was a church or a barbecue place because they absolutely did sell barbecue. It was all over the place. But there's a steeple and a cross on the top and crosses on the windows. So I'm thinking maybe what they do is during the week, they feed your body and on Sundays, they feed your soul. So they kind of, you know, got both ends of it there. But these church signs, it's always interesting to read the different ones that you see. And there was one that I saw and didn't stop to take a picture of it, but uh, we had somebody make up kind of a mock-up of it. And uh, here it is. Christ died for you. What have you done for him? And so I saw that and driving along and began thinking about that. And at first glance, you're like, hey, that's a pretty good slogan. That'd be an interesting kind of a topic for a sermon because Christ did this unbelievably gracious, generous, sacrificial, loving thing for us. He sacrificed himself. He died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. So if he did all of this for us, what are we going to do for him? You know, there's kind of this, this obligation, this debt to pay back what he's done for us. And it's inspiring and, you know, the duty of the Christian and, and that kind of thing. But if you step back and stop for a second, you say, wait a second. Doesn't that kind of lead to a uh, duty-oriented, works-based, guilt-inducing kind of uh, religion that we might actually want to avoid, and, you know, and, and I have a lot of friends who come from all sorts of different religious backgrounds, but one thing that they all have in common is guilt. You got your Catholic guilt, and you've got your Baptist guilt, and you've got my favorite, Jewish guilt. I'm half Jewish, and so it's okay for me to talk about Jewish guilt, you know. Uh, how many Jewish grandmothers does it take to change a light bulb? None. I'll just sit here in the dark, you know. Now, mom, if you're watching this on the video, it has nothing to do with you, you know. But, but seriously, we, we all do it, right? Christians, Jews, everybody, nobody's got a corner 
on the, on the, the guilt market. But that's not the way that God wants us to relate to him. Our relationship with God is not based on duty or obligation. And that brings us back to the story of the prodigal son. And in case you missed last week, uh, Rich is one of the other pastors here, uh, talked about the story of the prodigal son. And and, uh, the story kind of goes like this. There was a man who had two sons. And one day the younger son comes to him and he says, dad, give me my share of the inheritance, which in that culture was essentially saying, dad, I wish you were dead so that I could have your money now. So dad says, okay, gives the son his share of the inheritance. Son goes off to a faraway land and he squanders all his money on wine, women, and song. And he ends up feeding the pigs, which is an interesting kind of a situation for a good Jewish boy. What's he doing hanging out with the pigs? But we'll leave that one aside for just a second. So he comes to his senses and he says, what am I doing here starving, having to feed the pigs? I'd be better off if I went back to my father's house and asked if I could be his servant because it would be a better situation being my father's slave than it would be feeding the pigs here. So he gets up, brushes himself off, starts heading down the road, comes around the corner, and there is his father looking, waiting for him to come down the road. Dad sees him, runs to him before he can even really get partway through his own apology to his father. Father hugs him, embraces him, and says, come on back. You're not a slave. You're my son. And he throws this incredible party for his wayward, prodigal, lost son to welcome him back into the family. And that's a picture of our heavenly father. It's a picture, as Rich put it last week, when we return home, our heavenly father is eager to welcome us and to embrace us and to pour out his incredible love on us. But the story doesn't end there. There's another brother. There's an older brother who's not terribly happy that the father has welcomed his younger brother back home. And quick aside here, Rich said to me, make sure that you tell everybody that I, Rich, am the younger brother and you, Clay, are the older brother. I said, I don't need to say that. Everybody knows that, you know, at this point. But let's go ahead. So that was was because Rich wanted me to do that. So let's take a look at the rest of the story here in Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came near the house. He heard music and dancing. So he calls one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brothers come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, father says, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So come on in, join the party, join the celebration. We're a family. Let's let's do that together. This older son is the typical 
firstborn male, right? If you are a firstborn male, you won't admit it, but you know exactly what's going on. And if you're not the firstborn male, but you had an older brother, you know exactly what's going on here, right? I'm a firstborn male, so there you go. Riches too, but I don't quite, anyway, well, that's, we'll leave that aside. Firstborn male, he's hardworking, he's obedient, he acts responsibly, he's a rule keeper, and he is absolutely not in any way, shape, or form sympathetic to his rule-breaking jerk of a younger brother, right? And that's what's going on here. That's who this character is. Look what he does when he hears that his father's throwing a party for, to welcome home his younger brother. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. Why? His brother had shamed the family, right? He had shamed, he had brought down the family's good name. He'd made his father look like a fool and, and it reflects badly as well on the older brother. The other aspect of this, a, a, a number of people think that by welcoming the younger brother back home, the father was in some sense restoring his inheritance in the family. But if younger brother has already spent the money, where's the new money for his new inheritance going to come from, except from older brother, who is not going to be too happy about the inheritance being divided yet again. And this fattened calf had been set aside for a party that from the older brother's perspective, he deserved because he had done everything right. And now... Dad's given this fattened calf, this incredible party to this sleazebag brother of mine who wished that dad were dead. I mean, come on, what's going on here? He was doing everything he could not to celebrate his prodigal brother's return. He even says, look at this, verse 30, when this son of yours, he doesn't even say when my brother, he doesn't call him by name. He says, when this son of yours comes back, you kill the fattened calf for him. He won't even admit that he's related to him. And then, not only does he have an attitude problem towards his younger brother, he's got, an, he's got issues with his dad. Verse 29, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. He's acting like he's a slave. That's the language of a servant, not a son. I've never disobeyed you. I've slaved for you all these years. You owe me, dad. I've done everything right. I'm the good one. Why aren't you throwing a party for me? Verse 29, you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who's done all this, that, and the other thing, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. In that culture, he's essentially saying this young goat is kind of like a McDonald's hamburger. Dad, you never even took me to McDonald's, but you take him to Roots and you buy him the best steak that they have. You know, I mean, that's literally what was going on in that particular situation. Quick aside, on Facebook last night, somebody posted that their dad, after hearing this message, took them out to Smashburger, and they were pretty excited by that because it's better than McDonald's. Should have been Roots, but hey, Smashburger's better than McDonald's. And that was kind of cool, and she was pretty excited about that. But essentially, he's saying, Dad, after all that I have done for you, couldn't you at least take me to McDonald's? In fact, his father had absolutely done all sorts of things for him. But this is the way he felt because he had this duty-oriented, works-based attitude and approach to life. His father is throwing a party for his brother, and he wants absolutely nothing to do with his brother, the party, or his father. And because his approach to life was duty, guilt, obligation, works-oriented, it had totally destroyed 
his relationship with his family members. Older son is an absolute jerk. In religious terms, if you want to kind of get more sophisticated than the word jerk, you know, he is a legalistic, self-righteous Pharisee. And if you're not a church person familiar with the term Pharisee, Pharisees were among the religious leaders of the Jews at that time, and they were legalistic, self-righteous, technical term coming jerks. That's who the Pharisees were. And if it were, he's, he's, he's essentially an entitled brat who from my perspective deserves absolutely nothing from his father. And if it were up to me, I'd say, fine, you stay outside. You don't deserve a party. I'm going in and celebrating with your brother. You can stay out here until you grow up. But then I stop for a second and I say, and I ask myself, where's dad? Where's his father? Dad is outside pleading with his son to come into the party. Verse 28, older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. His father is treating him exactly the same way that he treated his younger son. His younger son left home wishing he were dead, squandered his inheritance, comes back, and what does dad do? He's outside running to him to welcome him back and to celebrate that he's home. Older brother, estranged from the younger brother, estranged from the father. Where is the father? He is outside pleading with him to come in and join the celebration. He's extending the same love and grace to the older brother as he extended to the younger brother. Notice he doesn't command him to come inside. He doesn't say, get your tail in here and celebrate with your brother. No, he says, come on, this is your brother. He's lost, he was lost, now he's found. Come on in, we have to celebrate. And then he he reaffirms their relationship. Verse 31, he says, my son. He actually uses, the Greek word that he uses could even be translated, my child. It's It's a term of endearment. My child, the father said, you're always with me. Just because your brother's home, it doesn't mean I think or love you any less. You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Subtext, all you had to do was ask. I would have taken him to McDonald's. I would have taken you to Roots. All you had to do was ask. I love you. Don't you get that? You don't have to earn my love because I'm your father and you're my son. But we had to celebrate and be glad because... And then he corrects his older son. This brother of yours, come on, we're a family. He's as much of a part of it as you are and you're as much a part of it as he is. Both of the sons were lost. The younger son was lost in his badness. That's obvious. Older son was lost in his goodness. The younger son was estranged from his father because he ran away. The older son was estranged from his father because he thought he had to earn his father's love. Both of them were estranged, but the father treated both of them 
the same way. Neither of them deserved the love. Neither of them had actually earned the love. The father said, that's not what love is about. I love you because you're my child, not because of anything you've done or not done. And when I step back and look at this story, I realize, you know what? I am so often like that older brother. I mean, that's, that was my response to the older brother. Jerk, you don't deserve all of this. And what am I doing? I'm doing the exact same thing that he does towards his younger brother. It is so easy for us to do this with, with the people around us. The rich think the poor are poor because they're lazy. The poor think the rich are rich because they're exploiting the poor. And the middle class says, eh, we're not like any of them and end up with the same kind of an attitude issue towards everybody in that way. We find it difficult sometimes to celebrate when something good happens to somebody. They get a promotion at work and we're jealous. Well, they didn't work as hard as I did, but they sucked up to the boss and that's why they got the promotion. You know, or uh, they get a, a, a nice new house and we, we start picking on it. Yeah, the house is nice, but look at the yard. You know, or mine's a little bit nicer. Or that car they're driving, well, they're only doing that so that they can look cool. Come on, can't we just celebrate with the people who are, are celebrating and who are enjoying things? But it's so easy for us to be judgmental and it's so easy for us to be jealous. And the same thing happens in our relationship with God. Christ died for you. What have you done for him? Is my relationship with him really based on what I've done for him? Because if it is, then I end up thinking that if something good happens to me, it's because I've done something right. Or if something bad happens to me, it's because I've done something wrong. Or if I can't find a correlation between what I've done and what happens to me, say I've done a lot of good things, but something bad happens to me, then I think God's a jerk because, hey, I pray, I read my Bible, I go to church, I even sing in church, you know? I even laugh at the pastor's jokes in church. And yet I lost my job. Or this loved one got cancer. God, why are you doing this to me? Or why are you allowing this to happen to me? I'm your child. Why are you doing this? And so we ask those kinds of questions and all of those things betray an attitude either of entitlement or of duty or of obligation or a works-oriented kind of approach to life. We're God's children. We're not his slaves. Our relationship with him is based on his mercy, not our merit. And yes, we live in a broken world and it's not the way it should be. And so bad things happen to good people. But when we step back and look at the whole story, we realize that what God is doing in this broken world that is not fully restored yet is he is in the process of restoring it. And it's taking time for him to do that. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. God blesses us in spite of the fact that we are not perfect, not because we're good enough for him to bless us. Our relationship does not, our relationship with God doesn't depend on what we do. 
It depends on what Christ has done. And if God has given us the sacrifice of his son, as the apostle Paul puts it, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Nothing can separate us from God's love, not our sin, nor our self-righteous attempts to earn his love and his grace and his favor. God loved us so much that he sacrificed our son for us, and it doesn't get any better than that. And if I had the opportunity to go back down to South Carolina, if I could find that little church again among the 500 other churches that we passed along the way, and if with a right attitude, I could knock on the door and talk to that pastor, I'd say, hey, pastor, you know that sign that you had up there? Christ died for you. What have you done for him? Hey, brother, you know what? Let's change that sign. Christ died for you. Let's celebrate. Let's enjoy it. Let's revel in the incredible blessing that he has given us. You know as well as I do. We don't need to earn it. We can't earn it. It's not because of what I've done. It's because of who he is and what he's done that you and I are restored to a right relationship with God. God gives us his love freely. We don't have to earn it. So let's just enjoy it. Let's celebrate. You know, it's interesting that Jesus does not actually finish the story. It's a cliffhanger. And, and, you know, don't you hate that when you're watching, you know, kind of like one of these serial TV shows, you know, at the end of the, the, end of the uh, season, they, it's always a cliffhanger and you know it's coming. And it's just, I don't know. I understand why they do it. And that's why I watch it the next season, you know, six or nine months later or, or whatever it is. But there's a cliffhanger here. I want to know, did the older son go in or did he stay outside? Did the jerk get his act together or, you know, or, or what happened here? But Jesus, obviously, because he's a little bit, a lot smarter than I am, does this intentionally because he wants us to stop and think. He wants us to put ourselves out there with our heavenly father and ask ourselves the question, how are we going to respond to this situation? So ask yourself this question, who are you? Are you more like the younger brother? Or are you more like the older brother? Are you more of a rule breaker? Or are you more of a rule keeper? Are you more of the type of person who tends to run away from God? Or are you more the type of person who tries to earn God's favor? Are you more of a rebel? Or are you more of a righteous person? in that way. Maybe you're sitting there saying, I don't know, it depends on what day of the week it is. You know, I have characteristics of of both of those sons. That's true of me often. I probably tend a little more toward the older brother. I can do some of the younger brother stuff pretty well as, you know, pretty well also. It doesn't really matter because God extends the same grace and the same love and the same opportunity for restoration to all of us, whether we're more like the younger brother, more like the older brother, or somewhere in between. You are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's love. And you are never so good that you are able to earn his love. Whether you're like the younger son and you're lost in your badness, or whether like 
the older son and you're lost in your goodness. God the Father says to all of us, come on, come on home. I love you. I'm waiting to forgive you and I'm eager to welcome you into the party. Christ died for you. Let's celebrate. I want us to take a a minute or so now and just stop and reflect and pray. And I don't know where you are this morning in your relationship with God, whether you feel like you're running away or you're trying to earn God's favor. It doesn't matter. Just stop and say, Lord, I need your love. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And I thank you that no matter what I've done or no matter what I do, you won't stop loving me and you won't love me anymore. You love me because of who you are, not because of of anything that I do. So just stop and, and pray. If you're comfortable, close your eyes, reflect and pray for a couple of minutes or so, and then I'll close us in prayer and and we'll come back together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that no matter what we have done, we can't outsend your grace and your love. And I thank you that no matter how hard we try to earn your love, you love us because of what Christ has done, not because of what we do. I thank you that you're that kind of a God. And I pray that really daily, I and all of us would stop and take the time just to celebrate the incredible love that you've shown for us. And I pray that we would rejoice with those who are rejoicing. When, when you bring blessings into other people's lives, I pray that we rejoice with them. When they're hurting, I pray that we'd hurt alongside them as well. And I pray that together, we, as, as your family, would celebrate the incredible love that you've shown to us in Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. Christianity is absolutely not about what you do or what I do. It is completely about what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to earn God's love. We get to enjoy it. Christ died for you. He died for me. He died for all of us. Let's celebrate. Let's enjoy that. Let's rejoice in that. 
let's tell others about the incredible love that he has for us. Thanks for so much for coming out this morning. I hope you have a wonderful week and we'll look forward to seeing you next weekend.